The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 216. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart even. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor's story called The Rebel Flesh. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Folks, if you have uh, a chance, if you have a minute, please take some time to write an Apple podcast review of the show. Uh, your reviews are really valuable to us as we uh, reach out to new folks. And uh, if you haven't, even if you've written one before, you can write a new one. Uh, after a while, they let you write another one. And we really do appreciate it. Uh, we haven't had a review recently, so it would be nice to get a, a review. It, it it also is a nice little boost for our, for us as we read our these glowing reviews, right? Uh, also, if you do, if you can, please also share the podcast with your friends. Uh, you can link to it on social media and that sort of thing. Uh, that also helps us grow our community of listeners, and we really do appreciate that. So we're talking about The Rebel Flesh. This is an 11th Doctor story, and it's the first part of a two-parter that we've got involving the, the 11th Doctor, Amy and Rory, and an acid mining factory, which is an interesting concept, which we can talk mm. about. <laughs> And, and and Rory's a regular companion now since he and Amy are married, so he's yes. joined Team TARDIS. Yes, yes, they are now a trio uh, on board, and uh, it this is this is an interesting episode or an interesting two episodes that in that they continue to explore this idea of the gangers, the doppelgangers, which is going to be an important concept for later in the season. And I think it I read somewhere at, one, at some point the entire TARDIS crew. It has gangers, including the unexpected one, <laughs> who uh, is already a ganger, and we don't, we just don't know it yet uh, when mm -hmm. we watch this the first time. So uh, I thought that was interesting. But uh, the, it's set on uh, an island with a castle or a monastery, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they tell us in the early twenty second century, which must be before the Dalek invasion that we see in the first Doctor's time that we've already talked about. And after Zoe's time. And after Zoe's time. Right. Just after Zoe's time. Okay, yes. Um, and we don't really know much more. We don't even really learn much more at all about this time period uh, in this. It's just, we're just told that it's the 22nd century and they have this technology of being able to make doppelgangers. And they still have to deal with commercials, too. They still have hollow commercials on their, their vids, <laughs> on whatever, whatever entertainment they have. Right, right. And we know that the acid mining is important to their society for some reason. And we have a typical corporatist, you know, 
cynical thing just like in Alien or mm-hmm. in the Alien mm-hmm. ripoff uh, or homage Earthshock where you have these people who are employed by some giant corporation right. and they're driven to make money and get their bonuses and stuff like that. It, it, the whole military industrial complex because they're a military contractor apparently too. That's that was yep. that yeah. comes up. Yeah. Uh so we we start with Ooh, this Ooh, so so since uh since mm-hmm. since it's the military they're probably spraying acid on people as a weapon. Maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Th- that's it. And Ingsoc is continually at war with East Asia or whoever, and therefore they need lots of this acid. Right. At least this week they're at war with East Asia. They, Ingsoc has always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I forget. <laughs> Until next week when we're told they've been always at war with, uh, what's the Pacific That one? other group. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, Oceania. Oh, yes. Oceania. Uh, so the first, we, we open with this scene of the, these three workers dealing with this super corrosive acid. They're wearing these acid suits which don't seem all that effective i guess uh and one of them they're horsing around and one of them falls in the vat and begins dissolving and they're very blasé about it more concerned with the expensive suits being destroyed than about the guy apparently dying so this is supposed to be shocking to us even the guy who's apparently dying is very blasé about it yes yeah not screaming in pain or anything like that uh, but of course, so really, really, they have two levels of protection here because not mm-hmm. only is do they have the outer acid suit, but they have the inner doppelganger, right? Which is a kind of flesh avatar, right? So it's like a drone that you control with your consciousness, which is elsewhere and made from a programmable matter that we'll we'll meet very soon. Uh, but which is an interesting concept that we we run up against several times in Doctor Who, I think, right? With this idea of programmable matter. Well, it's certainly a staple in science fiction, especially like Werner Vinga and so forth. And, you know, we're working on something like it right now. Also, since this is living programmable matter, Mm -hmm. we just recently, as we talked about on Mysterious World in one of our headline segments, have made the first living robots. They're called Xenobots. Mm -hmm. And they are robots that are made from living cells. In this case, they used frog cells. And they stitch together like the cardiac mu- cells of a frog that contract and expand and attach them to other cells, which served as stabilizers. And they could make these little xenobots that could like walk and crawl and go in circles and stuff. Mm. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we have that opening scene and then we we have. But... I, I, I know the xenobots keep yeah. wanting to eat flies. We don't know why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, they get distracted. <laughs> so uh, a good thing. And then we we end with him like obviously like seeing the guy and then he's not dead so like so it's clearly there's something else going on than, than and of course there's lots of talk about you know you know having compensation for workers workmen's comp and stuff like that yeah. you know but but it, so, it's clear that they're like yeah whatever yes it's like you know like like you said it's it the suit was worth more than the person inside of it and of course we find out why very shortly right and then we switch to the TARDIS where we have. Um, I thought it was interesting. There's there's uh, music playing. There's messy clothes laying around. Amy and Rory playing darts. So this is this is like they're they're on an uh, off day. You know, they're just uh, mm-hmm. hanging out um, in their messy uh, apartment <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> but the doctor is ruminating, I'd say, on Amy's weird pregnancy readings. She's pregnant, not pregnant, pregnant, not pregnant. That that whole thing. And then he says he's going to drop them off so he can go investigate something. But Amy. Who who has this knowledge that the doctor is going to die that she thinks he doesn't have this knowledge of mm-hmm. doesn't want to leave him alone. She's con- you know she's concerned he's going to go off and 
die, even though she does know that it's going to be what a hundred years or something before two hundred two hundred years before before that's going to happen. But she's still feeling very attached to him. So there's this interplay with them, and then the TARDIS gets caught in a solar tsunami from our sun. So they're apparently in our solar system. I don't know what a solar tsunami is, but uh, it sounds bad. Really, really <laughs> severe solar storm. Ah, yep. okay. Uh, which causes them to land outside this castle slash monastery, uh, super corrosive acid factory. He says that the tsunami sent out a wave of gamma particles, which caused fissures to form in the ground and caused all kinds of uh, bad stuff to happen to the TARDIS. So, uh, with so they weren't intending to go there. Is that what the ca- the case is? Correct. Okay. But it seems uh, providential that they go there because the doctor learned some things here that will serve him well later. It's almost as if the TARDIS takes him where he needs to go, not where he wants to go. (laughs) Yes. She has said that before recently. (laughs) But the doctor does talk about, like, it's not an accident that he's there and and that he knows. Well, he was searching for something. Yeah. And he, he thinks he's found it. He clearly knows more about this goo stuff than he initially lets on. Right. And we move into this mode really quickly where the doctor becomes an activist for the flesh, for the goo. Mm-hmm. And he, it, it starts Im- basically immediately uh, upon when he gets there. He starts talking about how this is living and things like that. And then they've got this big vat of it looks like elmer's glue but it's this big vat of the flesh and he waves the sonic over it and then he teeps it i have in my notes he doctor teeps the goo so he (laughs) makes telepathic contact with the goo and it makes telepathic contact with him and after that he's even more this stuff is alive you need to think about the implications of what you're doing and he's basically being a goo activist (laughs) also we have this stuff going on that is very, in terms of the imagery, since this is set in a monastery and there's this solar storm and it generates lightning and you have these gangers, or that's what they're called. That's the name of the flesh avatar. They're called, a, a flesh avatar is called a ganger for doppelganger. Mm-hmm. And they they can look fully human, but they also have this mode where they look like Odo from Deep Space Nine. Yes. And and this is all very Frankenstein-y. Mm. There's like a Frankenstein vibe going on here. Uh, right down to the lightning, the solar storm lightning hitting the right. weather vane thingy that powers the, yeah. the place. Yeah, that is, that's true. That's very much... The, well, and it's essentially a Frankenstein story, right? This is Mary right. Shelley, uh, the the... the, the inanimate flesh being brought to life and what does that mean what is the meaning of life and this is an interesting question that comes up that is part of this whole two-parter is are the gangers alive if -hmm. they're alive what are they are they sentient and well and thus do they have rights they establish they are alive the question is are they people right Right. and are they the The, people that they're duplicates of you know who we we, when we they have memories Right, and when we first meet them, they're still in their little harnesses, their little, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but their little uh, wall hangings uh, <laughs> yeah. controlling the flesh. And so we see how they, how they do that, and basically what we find out is their personalities, their memories, everything go into the flesh. They are connected on that level, and that's how they control them. Um, it goes way beyond any kind of mind control of, of a remote control robot or something like we've talked about it's like they become the flesh basically and the flesh becomes them 
Right. But well, only temporarily. Only temporarily. Right. Except, until the lightning strike. Right. But, until the, 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 the lightning strike. And then, so what do you, like, so I don't know if you want to talk, deal with this now or deal with this at the end of this, the whole thing, but th- this idea of the doctor, ad, you know, he, he gets all very much, these are individual sentient creatures that have human rights or some kind of sentient rights. What do you, are they, are they people? Will they have well, they, souls in this case? Well, well they almost be, they definitely, <laughs> they definitely, yeah, they definitely become it. Uh, I mean, as far again after the the lightning strike, but there's there's a sense that the doctor understands even when it's in its native Elmer glue state that the flesh has a consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, you know that it it has that ability, and of course we see later how strong that ability is uh, after it duplicates the doctor the doctor gets a ganger as well yes spoiler to the end yes you know but uh it it definitely you know there's this sense that there is a consciousness in there now is it a human consciousness i I think you could argue it's not it's something different it's another species altogether but that it is a uh there there is that that sense of of eventually i don't know i guess you know you jumpstart a soul i don't know how you would put that with the lightning so so the metaphysics of how you know people get souls i mean the church's understanding is that god creates them out of nothing at the moment of conception and how you get to conception or how you get a body you know which is what conception is is when a, the body of a new human being comes into existence or any new life form mm-hmm. you know that reproduces cellular uh, sexually is conception and it doesn't matter how you get a body, if you get a body, God provides it with a soul. Mm-hmm. So if you have natural twinning or artificial twinning, which we call cloning, or if you have you know, a child born through an illicit union, or if you have a child that's conceived in a Petri dish, it doesn't matter. However you get that living human body that, has a, that displays rationality, God gives it a rational soul. Otherwise, it wouldn't display rationality. And so mm-hmm. since these are living bodies and they're displaying human-level rationality, they have rational souls. Mm-hmm. So somehow, even if, they're, if, even if they're not technically our species, they are—and I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're not because they can do things that we can't, like joke, grow enormous necks and slide through small openings. Right. And, and punch, punch someone across a room. <laughs> yeah. Handy. They nevertheless do have rational souls, and they are people at least after the lightning strike. And so the so the doctor's right here that that they need to be treated as individuals, whereas the natural reaction of the workers that they are copies of they have that mm-hmm. have their memories and consciousness they 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 there's a sort of an uncanny valley uh, reaction of these things are too much like me and and I want them destroyed. It's a copy of me, and it should be destroyed. It shouldn't be allowed to exist, and that's. While that's an understandable reaction, it's not a moral, wouldn't be a moral action on their part to do so. The sense I got is the doctor knows more about the future of this technology. He even refers to this as a primitive stage of this technology. Mm. And so his knowledge of how the gangers are going to be integrated into society in the future is bleeding back now. Yeah. This would would be a little bit like traveling to when England had slaves and saying, you know, you may want to think about this slavery thing and maybe they can be full members of society and stuff. Right. 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 And, and I think an you know, argument could be made that when the gangers were still under human control, that they were basically, you know, 
robots. I mean, you know, yeah. for lack of better terms, you know, they lack uh, sentience. They yeah. lack sentience. But once that lightning storm hit, that changed. Yeah. yeah. Also, also, the doctor makes a point that the gangers, that the humans, the humans have imposed their memories and personalities on the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so they bear responsibility for uh, for what they've done and for their part in creating these people. Right. Yes. So what happens is the solar storm has a surge or you know a particularly bad moment that knocks everybody out and knocks out the power for an hour. They find they realize mm-hmm. that they've been out for an hour, and when they come to, I, I thought it was interesting. Amy and Rory, and this is a clue. Amy and Rory wake up in the flesh room, not in the room they were in when the doctor left them. He left them in a kind of control room. Mm. But when they wake up later, they're in the flesh room. So that's an interesting clue. And every, everyone was out for an hour. And then... And they find evidence that the the gangers have been doing stuff right. in right. that hour. Initially, they one of, the, one of the women they meet tells them that, oh, it's just been like two minutes. And then yeah. they discover it's been an hour, which is a clue that she's uh she's a ganger. Yes. And there are so there are five employees of this station, five contractors, three men and two women. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that both of the women are gangers. Yes. And I don't initial and and I have to say that around the middle of this episode, I found it very hard to follow. Yeah. Because they aren't being clear about things. It is not clear why these two women are gangers and why they're with this group it's not it doesn't seem like the gangers had a plan to infiltrate uh, but presumably they did but they don't show us that it just seems random it's like oh she's a ganger too really where did that come from what's mm. the plot logic of that right yeah it 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 is it was confusing i mean at at times they helped us out by having them in their Odo like state, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how else to put it. Uh, but yeah, the, when they're hidden, you know, when they're in their human looking form, yeah, what is their motivation? What are they doing? What is their, what did they spend that hour trying, you know, of finding new life, trying to figure out about themselves? We, we, we don't get that. I think that might have been interesting, something to see about like them realizing they're yeah. alive. Yeah, but they're they're not doing that because they want to preserve this guessing game. This is mm-hmm. like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, who is a ganger and who is not. Right. Right. And they 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 want to preserve that, so they're showing it to us from the doctor and companion's perspective, and we as a result, we don't understand what the gangers are trying to accomplish at first at least and why they're doing all this stuff. Why are mm-hmm. they impersonating these people? Well, and the doctor has a line about how they're they're trying to figure their new situation out. The gangers themselves are trying to figure it out. And so they kind of use that as a hand wave of, well, they don't, the gangers don't even know what they're doing yet. So you don't need to know what they're doing yet. <laughs> right. Well, and then the gangers, even though the doctor is totally like, I am here to help you. We will sort this out. Do not worry. I have in my notes, gangers acting irrational to keep the plot going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though the doctor is explicitly being helpful, they are still not trusting and plotting actively against the humans. They're not even taking a let's wait and see attitude, which right. they should if they had the minds of these people. And they made a telepathic contact with him before all of this happened. That should have, yeah. you know, the only reason we have the telepathic contact apparently is so that it could later on 
make a, a ganger of the doctor. But there was other plot elements that could have been incorporated from that, which they choose not to acknowledge. Yeah. By the way, we also have an interesting form of TARDIS separation in this episode. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The, because of the acid leaks that have developed as a result of the solar storm, which apparently blows holes in pipes, mm-hmm. the acid is going all over the ground outside, and the TARDIS sinks into the ground. And yep. so it, they, we, we lose access to the TARDIS, at least temporarily. I find it very interesting, this acid they have, because it like sometimes melts ground and rock, and other times it doesn't, and it leaves grass totally alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. It just looks like, you know, soggy grass, you know, grass after a good rainstorm or something, where it's yes. just a little flooded, but that's about it. It's a plot-activated acid. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rory in this one has a—he he plays this sympathetic role that is very much Rory, where— uh, he sees someone in distress, and he, you know, Rory is a nurse, and so he is a helping person. And so he sees Jennifer, one of the 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 workers in distress. We'll I'll call her Ganger. It turns out she's Ganger Jennifer. He helps her to the washroom where, uh, she reveals herself. She's angry for some reason. Uh, turns into Mister Fantastic and <laughs> knocks him out from across the room and takes off. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the doctor confirms that the leader, the other woman named Cleves. She's a ganger by tricking her into holding a hot plate uh, you know, he, that he heats up in the microwave. We find out that the way the, the, the ganger protects the operator from feeling the pain when they are injured is at the first instance of pain above a certain threshold, it cuts off the nerve endings so they don't feel mm-hmm. it. Uh, and that's, that's what's going on. Uh, I love that the delayed reaction, like uh, the plate you're holding is hot. Oh, ow! And drops it. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. yeah, not believing that. <laughs> she has this wily Coyote moment where suddenly she realizes gravity is real. <laughs> right. oh, you, mean, you don't do that? You're, you're distracted by your phone. You grab a hot plate out of the microwave and all of a sudden, oh! Yeah, no. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also sometimes run off my roof and hang in the air until I realize I'm in the middle of the air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like how well Rory does with this, because even after Jennifer punches him and runs off, he pursues her and Mm -hmm. is serious about, I'm going to help you, and, you know, we'll get through this. And the doctor is doing the same thing. And and I like the character development for Rory. Mm. Right. He's very active in this episode, more so than he, he often has been to this point. This is part of Rory's transition into being full active companion not just someone who's like the third you know who's like a caboose on the train being pulled along by the doctor and amy yes and and it's actually kind of interesting that amy comes across more as the i'm chasing after rory in this episode than the other way around Mm which it used to be yeah so the doctor arranges a powwow with all the gangers and the humans at least the all the gangers they can find and gives them the big, you know, we can all get along speech, and we will get through this. And this is where the episode, we're a little more than halfway through the episode at this point, I think. Oh, and the gangers have taken all of the acid suits so that the humans can't use them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and so th- they have an advantage over the humans now, because they're not as vulnerable to the acid. At least they don't hurt the right. way we do. Right. But the doctor arranges this powwow, and... and this is where it really starts to get interesting, because the gangers have all of the emotional attachments that the humans do, even though they're not humans. And so, like, one of them wants 
I mean, one of them has a son back on the mainland somewhere, and he's a father, and the ganger feels like a father towards that son and wants to be there for his son's birthday. Mm -hmm. And the human father is standing right there and is going, I don't know that I want you at my son's birthday party. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And... But he simultaneously understands the ganger's perspective because he knows it's just what I would feel mm-hmm. in that situation. And he actually is one of the more sympathetic humans well, towards they the go ganger off. perspective. And they go off together to help each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found that I, I found that a very interesting reaction. I I'd be kind of creeped out that this other person would want to go hang out with my child. That would be mm-hmm. kind of. But but it's an interesting that he and it's to his credit. That he has a different. I like the fact that they write it so that everyone has somewhat different reactions to this, to this, and and react, uh, you know, in this case, sympathetic, yeah. in other cases, Cleve, well, for example, that's the woman who's in charge of the base, mm-hmm. is is of the kill them all now school, <laughs> yeah, and and she comes in with like uh, it, a it's a spe- it's a extra special taser, yep, that that will kill people and yeah. gangers and her her ganger is like oh this is so me <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> and, well, I, well i like the way she put that it, it this is so us it's not even like so me it's like yeah. this is just how we are isn't it right yeah. but she then does kill one of the gangers she kills a guy named buzzer and the doctor points out you have crossed a big line here because you've killed one of them now and and that effectively dissolves no pun intended the <laughs> the union between the gangers and the humans right war is now started uh so the doctor tries oh, to get oh oh action rory though depowers the cattle prod you yep. like to keep her from killing yeah. anybody else. Rory lunges at her, grabs the thing, and like yanks the power pack out of it. That's yep. true. Yeah. Uh, so Rory is running around uh, after Ganger Jennifer, and and then at, then eventually pursued by Ganger Jennifer. And Amy, meanwhile, is refusing to listen to the doctor's you know order to go back to the TARDIS, which she wouldn't be able to anyway uh, at this point. But uh, but she's no. I'm going off on my own to find Rory, and that's that. So she's going to be in danger. And then we have this scene of of Ganger Jennifer and Rory, and she's talking about her memories and how she knows she's real. I know I'm real. I remember the, like doing this and that when I was. And you can imagine how disorienting that would be. And we've seen this again. We've seen this in sci-fi in other places. Mm-hmm. This sort of I'm I I'm I'm real sort of thing. I'm not just a copy. Rory makes some mistakes that on the dialogue level that I I guess you can say it's in character for Rory, but I wouldn't do this because mm-hmm. when she's having this identity crisis moment, and he's like, "Okay, so let's talk about the real Jennifer," and she's <laughs> yeah. like, "I am Jennifer." It's like, okay, what I meant to say is what <laughs> yeah. Rory should have said in the beginning is <laughs> the other. What about let's talk about the other Jennifer? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, and then uh, we have. The doctor then goes back to the flesh room, scans the flesh again for for plot reasons, and then after he leaves, we see these creepy lips appear in the uh, in the the flesh uh, that say "trust me" in a weird voice that we don't recognize yet. But the doctor has well, well, we do if we've been paying attention to the dialogue because the <laughs> yeah. doctor earlier said "trust me, I'm the doctor." Right, yep. right. Uh, 
I, I, the, uh, to me, the you said it looked like Elmer Glue. I was thinking uh, it looks a lot like when you the the the, the I forget what they call it. There's some kind of fluid where you mix cornstarch and water, and it beca- oh, and you can goo. What? That's what they call that goo. It becomes <laughs> goo. No, it's, it's the, it, I know what you're talking paste. about. It's the stuff. It's the stuff you can walk on. Yeah, it's it's just that certain type of uh, fluid that by ther- the, the way. Depending the, on how much force you apply together. to it, yeah. yeah, it's it's either solid or liquid or whatever. I just I just thought mm-hmm. I was thinking of that anyway. Oh, by the way, I I wanted to note during this drama sequence where they're all running around and stuff, they have this kind of pulsing, grinding soundtrack mm-hmm. that I found very effective at create helping accentuate the tension of what they're doing. Yes. Also, even though they're running through corridors, these are. These are like run-down medieval corridors made out of, you know, stone in a in an ex-repurposed monastery, mm-hmm. and it it is it's it's I found this more effective than a lot of running through corridors I've seen. Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking uh, by, of the, by the way, okay. that fluid is non-Newtonian fluid. That's it's, what it is. It's yeah. solid if you apply a sudden force, like you try to stand on it, and it's liquid if you if you're slow, steady. Force. So like if you try yeah. to just put your hand in slowly, you can go in, but if you <laughs> smack it, it'll stop. Yeah, Google some videos on non-Newtonian fluids. Those are pretty interesting. So the speaking of the music, we do have some uh, pop music in this episode. I, I should I should mention is uh, oh yeah, you, Dusty Springfield. Dusty Springfield. You don't have to say love me, which is based on an Italian song, uh, which is really good. So that was good. And what was it? Uh, uh, it was recognized by Rory because it was one of his mom's favorite. Dusty Springfield was one of his mom's favorites, which. We never see Rory's mom, do we? We only no, see his dad. We don't. Mm, yeah, int- interesting. And so his mom apparently, or well, I should say these these people in the twenty second century are are fans of of classical folk tunes. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it's kind of like one of us being familiar with the Rambling Sailor or the lyrics to the Arkansas Traveler or yeah, Camp Down Races. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which, uh, but but actually, of course you, yeah. you got to have the you got to have the retro thing. So they're playing it on an actual record player on an actual record, you know, real vinyl. So yes. can't be just you know some computer uh, MP3 or something like that. Yeah, futuristic iPod. Nope. I, I I love the episode of Third Rock from the Sun where the where the aliens who have come to Earth are talking about how it's ama- in the era of of CDs. Mm-hmm. And are talking about how it's it's too bad that this planet hasn't yet discovered the superior sound of vinyl. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so the uh, the doctor uh, he he go, tries to go back to the TARDIS and finds it buried up to its the top. Ah, old Dan Tucker. That's the other one I was thinking of. <laughs> okay. Mm. okay. Old Dan Tucker is a mighty man. He washed his face in a frying pan, combed his hair with a wagon wheel, and he died with a toothache in his heel. Now get out the way. Old Dan Tucker, you're too late to get your supper. Supper's done and dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker, just stand there looking. Oh, there is one that we we listened to. We we picked picked up, and it was um something about the de- uh giving the devil my old uh the old wife, the devil and the old wife, or something. Oh, it's I a, don't know that one. Oh yeah, it, it's hysterical. The kids loved it because she was uh, the my old wife was so mean that the devil sent her back. The devil came to take her, and the devil sent her back. So it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get that to you uh, after, Jimmy, because it's a it's a funny folk tune that we picked up uh, when we went to visit uh, uh, the Great Smoky Mountain uh, National Park, and we picked up some music. Anyway, 
That is totally not what we're talking about here. The, so anyways, the they're all running through corridors at this point. We, need, we well, need to pad. This is our equivalent of running through corridors. We need to pad the runtime on this podcast because there's not too much more to say about this episode. Well, this, this, <laughs> right. this, is, this is an episode, actually, that it's got a lot in it, but it, it's real quick. You know, it's it, action. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of action and it reveals much. And it really, I mean, of course, it, it's all revealing everything to the both the second part of this two-parter and the season going forward, too. Right, so. right. So there's a couple more things we, we should talk about. I do like when the Doctor goes to the TARDIS, he has to take off his boots and, and run around barefoot like a like an episode of Die Hard, uh, you know, another <sighs> Die Hard retro. Because acid. Because acid. And then uh, Amy does, as she's searching around through the castle, she does uh, open a door and sees the eye patch lady through a hatch in a wall uh, again. So we, we're continuing to see Eyepatch Lady, who's important for the season-long story arc. The The Doctor does bring everyone back together again in the same room. Does to, He tells them that the storm caused the flesh to become hardwired and refers to the gangers as sacred life, which I thought was interesting mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In, that he would refer well, to them that there's way. There's another earlier reference where the Doctor talks about it's appropriate that they're, they're doing this in a church because, of course, this old monastery has always got the chapel because it's the miracle of life. Yes, right, and and a, and a kind of analog to resurrection in in a sense, yep. although not they're not dead when the new body comes alive, but that the analog. Real Jennifer, who they're all running around trying to escape from the 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 enemy here, uh, uh, and real Jennifer ends up running into a new ganger in that chapel, and it turns out to be the the ganger of the doctor. That's when they end up mm-hmm. finding him. You know, with the Odo face, and he says, "Trust me, I'm the Doctor," and that's where we we do end this episode. So, any other notes or thoughts about this episode? Nothing here. So, there are two lines that I wanted to call out. One of them is earlier on when the lady in charge is dismissing something the Doctor says about you know maybe this happened, and and she says, "Cars don't fly themselves." Mm-hmm. And that's an attempt to be futuristic because it's mm-hmm. talking about flying cars. But yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, we're having self-driving ground cars now. I'm pretty sure that by the 22nd mm-hmm. century, if we have flying cars, they will also fly themselves. Well, in fact, I think yeah. even more so. <laughs> flying even cars more so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> self-driving, yes. Yeah. And then I I love a line that the doctor has towards the end of the episode about how things are going to get even more insaner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> couple of just uh, notes. The one is they filmed this at, uh, now I, I'm, I'm going to probably mispronounce the where, where, what it's called. It's Cardiff Castle at Carefully, Carefully Castle in, in, Car- in Cardiff or near Cardiff in Wales. That's the location shoot. Any of our Welsh Welsh listeners have just turned turned off because you can't pronounce yes. their their words. I know. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll think it's so. not not for lack of trying. It's for lack of knowledge. Exactly. exactly. Uh, not for it's not for lack of respect. Uh, then we've seen one of the other things I would talk about is just the uh, interesting how we've seen several times this idea of the people being replaced by duplicates. We saw it with. Uh, Martha Jones being replaced by Duvigit in the Santaran stratagem. This seems to be a thing that they want to keep coming back to. And I, I just thought that was, it, it's an interesting idea that they keep, keep wanting to explore. And sometimes better than others, I guess, but uh, but it's, it is an interesting concept. Yep. 
All right. I I think and if that's it, uh, we can move on and we'll of course be discussing the second half of this story when we uh, next time. Uh, so we'll we'll come back to this, but uh I think we'll take a moment here to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who including Martin R, Dustin R, Foster A, Richard C and Andrew C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at Starquest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this first part of the two-parter, this 11th Doctor story called The Rebel Flesh? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second part of this two-parter called The Almost People. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, well, I can see why you keep it in a church. Miracle of life. Right. This is going to be fun.